Well, hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome here to the journey of the 2005 New York football giants. This is a special episode. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside my co-host, Hank and Dichter. Hank, how are you doing first off and who are you wearing tonight in your throwback jersey? Well, Tom, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, as far as my uh, throwback jersey, I think it's only fitting that we start off with We go with probably my favorite giant of all time, number 10, Elisha Nelson Manning IV. This was his first full season as a giant starter, so I thought it would be fitting, and I may or may not be wearing this for the rest of our episodes as we go along in this series. I like it. I really like it, Hank. Um, So quick rundown of what we're going to go through tonight, folks. If you're wondering what the show is about, We're going to turn back time. It is Throwback Thursday, so this is a special Throwback Thursday episode where we will recap the journey of the 2005 New York football Giants. Uh, We kicked it off with a chilling championship. Uh, Like and subscribe to our page at Review and Preview Sports. That's where we're broadcasting from. And you can follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. Any comments you guys have, feel free to comment in the comments section. We'll get back to you uh, as soon as we can. First off, Hank, This was truly one of my favorite seasons growing up. I think this is the first season that really the both of us can truly remember um, top to bottom where the Giants, they went 11 and five and they were first place in the NFC East. Yeah, this was a season that I think to me it was pretty memorable, but little did I really know at the time how memorable it was because remember, this was the first year of our franchise quarterback. This was also the first year of some other faces that would go on to be key contributors in the years to come. And I think this season in kind of a, in a way set, set the stages for what was to come in the glory years. And so 2005 is definitely, in my opinion, a season that's kind of important in Giants history. The road to glory, as you would say. Um, exactly. This was the first time that the Giants made the NFL playoffs since 2002, a season where they lost in the meltdown in San Francisco. That was our last episode, the story of the 2002 team, which you can watch on our page as well. Um, Hank, look, the Giants are coming off two straight losing seasons in 2003 and 2004. And by the way, I am wearing number 21, uh, Tiki Barber, here tonight, who was obviously the face of this team. He was fantastic. Him and Osu Minura had great seasons in 2005. Uh, this was supposed to be a rebuilding year. Remember, the Giants are coming off a 6-10 and 10 2004 season. This is the first full season of having Eli Manning as the starting quarterback, second-year head coach in Tom Coughlin, uh, and the second-year quarterback in Eli Manning. A rebuilt offensive line, uh, a young quarterback with an older supporting cast. Uh, as a fun fact, their offense actually scored the third most points in the NFL where they had names like Tiki Barber, Plaxico Burris, and Jeremy Shockey. As great as those skill players were, and of course, Amani Toomer, the well-dressed Amani Toomer, I accredit it to the offensive line and their play. Yeah, definitely. I think the offensive line as was an important factor in the Giants having success. This was a pretty much a career season for guys like T- Tiki Barber too. So, and to have Eli throw for, what was it, 3,700 yards or something? Yeah, yeah, very important for the offensive line to be a key factor in this season. So, 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of great players in that offense to feed the ball to. And folks, those of you that are watching, we're going to go over our top ten players list from this team later on in the show. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, we talked about the returning faces on this team, the veterans, as we just mentioned. Uh, the Giants added Plaxico Burris in the offseason via free agency. It was a very prized free agent signing for the Giants. They added him uh, in addition to the weapons they had on offense. They added a new leader, an anchor to their defense and middle linebacker, Antonio Pierce. And they also added right tackle Kareem McKenzie coming over from the Jets, who just finished off his rookie contract. But to me, the meat and potatoes of this team, as I said, were the offensive line and the two defensive ends and Michael Strahan and O.C. Umanura. Hank, these two combined, they were the most dominant pass rushing duo in the league, combining for 26 sacks, which was the highest in the league. That was more than any other pair, quite frankly. Uh, 26 sacks is fantastic. I mean, Osu Minura, this was the year where he really started to become the master of that strip sack. Yeah, I would agree. OC, I would say this was really his coming out party. And again, those two pretty much helped set the stage for what was to come with their deadly pass rush. And then you had another guy on defense who didn't have quite as good of a season as they did, but Justin Tuck would factor later on into the season. And obviously those two, particularly Strahan, would end up being key mentors to them in the in next few years to come. 100%. You know, I've got to say, Hank, Justin Tuck was a rookie this year. And in order for the Giants to acquire Eli Manning, Ernie Acorsi had to make a trade on draft day in 2004, where the Giants would send Phillip Rivers to the Chargers and where Eli Manning would come into return for the Giants. But with that, the Giants also lost draft picks. So in fact, I think this was really the best draft in a while, probably the best draft of the century because the Giants only had four draft picks and they were Corey Webster in the second round, Justin Tuck in the third, Brandon Jacobs in the fourth. Those three were fantastic players that developed into great players. And then you had Eric Moore in the sixth round, who he bounced around the league as a backup defensive end. But uh, break down this Ernie Acorsi trade and the 2005 draft that the Giants had with very limited picks. All right. So in my honest opinion, when it comes to the Giants and Ernie Acorsi, I think this year might have actually been – his most important draft, actually, if, if you really think about it, because as we said, he had very little to work with. Like he gave up a lot for Eli Manning, which of course was going to happen because this guy was one of the top pros- prospects in terms of college football and you weren't getting him on the cheap. Let's be real. No, <laughs> but yeah, obviously. But what he did do that, but what made it important was that this was a giant team that I think was still kind of seen as being in a rebuild mode. And they obviously needed to find a way to build around Eli. And you know what? Of course, he, all things considered, he did a good job. You got Brandon Jacobs, who, while he wasn't used as much like as Tiki at that point, he would go on to be a star and contributor. Then you had, um, sorry, was just, yeah, Justin Tuck in the third I'm sorry. I take that back. Corey Webster was in the second round. My yep. mistake. Webster and then talk. Yep. Yes. Corey Webster was first. He, well, I don't know if he was as good as like the other two players I mentioned. He did contribute to the two Super Bowl runs. And as we'll mention, he had a very important interception that we'll talk about in a few episodes down the road. 
Then there's Justin Tuck, who, what more can I really say? He was a guy that was a great defensive end, and obviously in later years he would go on to emerge as a team leader, particularly in the second run, which we will talk about in later episodes. And then afterwards you had Brandon Jacobs, who, as I kind of mentioned, he was a good uh, power back to pair with uh, Tiki Barber. And then later on you would add a Mod Bradshaw and – that was pretty much Earth, Wind, and Fire, if you remember. Yes, it was uh, in 2007. But, Hank, yes. before we get there, let's talk about some of the undrafted free agents, the Giants. They had guys like Chase Blackburn, who developed into a great role player for this team, special teams leader, Cor- uh, James Butler, uh, a safety who became a starter after Brent Alexander left and Will Demps in 2006. And then Ryan Grant, a running back who is now – who later on went to the Green Bay Packers. But there's one player that the Giants drafted as an undrafted free agent in 2005 that I guarantee you 95% of our listeners and watchers will not know who this is, but I'm about to flash him on the screen. Cameron Wake. You guys know who that is? Cameron Wake, who made a career with the Miami Dolphins. That's him. The Giants signed Cameron Wake as an undrafted rookie free agent in 2005. He was cut, and then he was out of the NFL for three years. So Cameron Wake didn't really start playing in the NFL until 2009 when the Dolphins finally gave him a chance. And the fact that he was able to make a career, this was the one area that the Giants choked. They kept Eric Moore on the roster, and they let Cameron Wake walk. That was probably the one downside to uh, off-season acquisitions, uh, rookies, undrafted free agents. But the roster consisted of five Pro Bowl players. Uh, first up, of course, we all know him. It's Michael Strahan, number 92. And there he is right there. Big guy, 6'5", leader of this team, drafted back in 93, the veteran on that defensive line. That's just a quick look at Michael Strahan. Another Pro Bowler on this roster, Tiki Barber. There he is, number 21. He was the running back who rushed for over 1,800 yards, guys, second in the league to Sean Alexander, and he only missed the 2005 rushing title by 20 yards. Next up is a guy there's a lot of controversy over, but I happen to love him, and I think you know that, Hank, maybe a little too much. Jeremy Shockey. I like him too, though. Yep. Uh, Jeremy Shockey, probably the third best tight end in Giants history. There's a debate for second, but there he is. Jeremy Shockey, number 80, had seven touchdowns on the season, making his, I want to say, second consecutive Pro Bowl and the third of his career. He actually made three Pro Bowls in his first four seasons. Um, And then, of course, there's two more. We have to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, 14 and a half sacks in 2005, O.C. Umanyara. And there he is sacking Mark Burnell. Classic picture I know that you love, Hank. And he was a beast. He had – I was looking at, like, the wiki stat sheets for all these games, and OC had, like, a pair of sacks, like, in over half the games. It's crazy. He was a monster. Oh, yeah. And then the fifth Pro Bowler is a lot of – he has a very good history – well, maybe not a good history with the Giants, but, well, he does. He was really good in clutch moments – and special moments, and I'm going to look for that picture here as it's kind of hard to find in the bunch that we have. But, yes, Hank, it's who you think it is. It's number 85, David Tyree. 
the guy who made the clutch helmet catch in Super Bowl 42. There he is blocking a punt off of Philadelphia Eagles punter Reggie Hodges. So there is David Tyree blocking that punt. And I like all five of these pro bowlers. I was a little surprised Blacksco Burris didn't make it. I thought he was a snub, but I don't think he scored enough touchdowns, to be fair, because Toomer and Shockey scored the same amount of touchdowns. But seven touchdowns from the tight end position back in 2005 is definitely more valuable than from a wide receiver. Oh, for sure. Really, pretty much, really what it tells you is that the Giants had an offense where they can like spread the ball to a good amount of players, and they had, had a good amount of weapons. So, yeah, you didn't really need that one guy to like be dominant in the ball. And I guess that's why Plaxico didn't make it. And I, I do tend to agree with you. Plaxico was kind of a stump player, but he turned out to be very important. And I see James says the red jerseys are throwback. Yeah, those are. I personally was not – I don't know about you. I wasn't as big a fan of the red jerseys, but it is pretty cool taking a look at those red jerseys. What, what say you, Tom? They wore them about once or twice a season. The first couple of years, I think they wore them – twice a season and then they went to once but i you know i was a, i was a fan personally because red is mixed in with yeah. the giants uniforms but uh every team has that one you know awkward looking jersey that they wear maybe once a year so that's one for sure uh okay so the coaches of this team we're going to break it down from head coach to offensive and defensive coordinator obviously the head coach of this team was tom coughlin in his second season tom coughlin came over from jacksonville well he was fired from Jacksonville in 2002. He spent a year out of the NFL, and then he got uh, signed by the Giants in 2004. This was his second season as the head coach. Uh, you know, a lot of people think he's the greatest coach in Giants history. He's up there for sure. Uh, that's a debate to have another day. But I definitely think Tom Coughlin instilled a no-nonsense, old-school mentality that uh, you know Joe Judge is doing now in the yeah. 20 season, 2020 season, and Hank. What was your favorite part about Coach Coughlin? Yeah, quite frankly, I think Tom Coughlin and his no-nonsense discipline was something the Giants needed because, you know, they were a young team and you kind of needed to, like, set them straight. I think my favorite was how thing was how he often, like, I, my favorite thing about Coughlin was his motto, which was talk is cheap, play the game. And yeah. that served the Giants very well in many big games, unlike a certain Jets coach who, you know, <laughs> bragged about going to the Super Bowls every year. <laughs> Gotta throw shade at the Jets, Hank. Come on. Uh, Sorry. You know, you know. Yeah, how I know. Are. <laughs> the next, uh, so their offensive coordinator, um, John Huffnagel, there he is standing next to Eli Manning. He was only with the team for three years, 2004 to 2006. He came in with Coach Carlton's staff. And I thought he was a great offensive coordinator overall. Um, he, he had a couple downfalls, but um, I definitely liked him as far as getting Eli a little more confident and decisive in the pocket. I thought he was fairly good. And then the defensive coordinator is Tim Lewis. Same thing. Came in 2004, stayed until 2006. Uh, you know, the Giants had a lot of good players on their defense. His flaws really didn't get noticed, didn't get much recognition until, uh, you know, they signed a couple of no names in 2006. Will Dems in particular, the defense wasn't as good. There was injuries across the board. Uh, yeah, and that's where Tim Lewis started to decline a little bit as far as a defensive coordinator at the NFL level. Uh, 
you know what's weird? They changed Facebook Live tonight where you can't invite people to watch the show. It's definitely uh, a little strange, but um, yeah, I'm trying to trying to figure that out. That's um, a weird question. Do you guys remember Coughlin time? Yes. You know what's funny? Sometimes yes. I think about that whenever I uh, try to get to certain places. I'll tell people, oh, I follow the Coughlin approach, which for those of you who don't know, that means being on time means you're five minutes early. And a lot of players started showing up 10 minutes early to everything. And I know that's instilled in you, Hank. And um, Coughlin had a big emphasis on creating turnovers. Giants finished third in 2005 in the NFL in total takeaways. Uh, Crazy. So we're going to go over three key players on each side of the ball, offense and defense, and then we're going to jump into the games. I know that's what everybody's waiting for. So the three key players on offense for me, uh, under center, number 10 for the Giants, Eli Manning. There he is, second-year quarterback. Eli Manning in this season, uh, he didn't win his first career road game until week nine. I know technically week two was a road game, but with Hurricane Katrina, it had to be played at Giants Stadium. But, uh, yeah, Eli Manning proved a lot of his doubters wrong in this season, 24 touchdown passes. He only completed 53% of his passes, but remember, a lot of quarterbacks did not throw the ball much back then. Uh, you know, you're looking at the stats in this game. It, it wasn't often a guy threw for 300 yards back in 2005. Right. Um, next up, we have Tiki Barber, number 21, as I just showed you guys earlier. Uh, Tiki Barber, there he is in his red jersey uh, with the Wellington Mara pin on the left, which we'll talk about later. Tiki Barber had 1,860 rushing yards on the season. That was second in the NFL and gained nearly 2,400 yards from scrimmage. That's the second. That was the second most in NFL history. Only Marshall Falk had more scrimmage yards than Tiki Barber um, in history. And the nine rushing touchdowns, the two through the air, 54 catches and over 500 receiving yards as well. Tiki Barber was a threat on the ground through the air, a dual threat for Eli Manning. And he had three games where he rushed for at least 200 yards. Hank. That's definitely something that should not go unnoticed because it won Giants games late in the season. Yeah, especially the last home game against the Chiefs, which we'll get into. He had a very historic season and quite possibly, I think 2005 Barber's season might be the best by a Giants running back in history. And it's and I definitely think that he was the greatest Giants running back of all time, although that's a debate for another day. Yeah. I think Tiki Barber was definitely a great player um, in Giants history. He holds a lot of the records for running backs. And then next up, we have number 17, the wide receiver they acquired in free agency, and that would happen to be Plaxico Burris. And here he is with the football. Plaxico Burris, folks, um, Tiki Barber was named the first team all-pro. Plaxico Burris was not far off. 76 catches, seven touchdown receptions. Coming from the Giants, he switched his number from 80 to 17. And fun fact, guys, uh, Plaxico Burris actually never made a Pro Bowl throughout his career, which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Now we move over to the defense. Uh, you know, Osu Minura, definitely a guy you have to bring up. There he is, number 72. First time Pro Bowler in 2005. And for those 14 and a half sacks were definitely great. He emerged into the master of the strip sack. 92, Michael Strahan is next. Again, a leader on this defense, 11 and a half sacks on the season. 
and a great mentor for rookie Justin Tuck. And this was a big comeback season for Strahan because he only played eight games in 2004. So that was definitely uh, important for him to prove that people to prove to people that he was not necessarily on the on the decline. So I think that was important. Yeah. And then the best free agent acquisition as far as the defense is concerned, it's definitely number 58. Uh, AP, they call him, Antonio Pierce. There he is, big number 58, a captain, a leader on this defense. He only played 13 games, but had 100 tackles in his first 13 games. He actually had that fumble return for a touchdown against Dallas. And this was a season where they needed him. They lost a lot of their linebackers and Barrett Green, Carlos Emmons, uh, during the season. Barrett Green actually just played one game. Carlos Emmons was hurt by midseason. Uh, so, yeah. And we'll talk about more players later on, like Shockey, like the offensive line, Jeff Fiegels, guys like that, that flew under the radar. So let's get into it here, Hank. Uh, preseason, the Giants went 3-1. and one. Manning didn't play most of the preseason outside of the first game. I remember there was a thunderstorm the first game of the preseason, but Brandon Jacobs, the rookie, impressed with 73 rushing yards. And he didn't look much different as a rookie that – than he does now. Brandon Jacobs always had an older look to him, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I thought he was he was great in preseason. Definitely. So we head into week one. It's the fourth anniversary uh, fourth anniversary of 9-11. It's Eli Manning against his old friend and mentor, Kurt Warner, who played for the Giants in the 2004 season. Eli Manning and Kurt Warner, a lot of history together. There they are in giant unis, big blue with Huffnagel. Uh, this was an interesting game for the Giants because it was very even until the third quarter. Uh, the Giants struck first. They had a touchdown pass to Jeremy Shockey. Uh, but then Eli Manning, you know, turnovers haunted him in 2004. Hank Carlos Dansby, I believe, had a uh, pick six off of him, giving the Cardinals a 10-7 lead. Dansby, in fact, had two picks in the game yes. for the Cardinals. Um and then the Giants found themselves trailing 13-7 to in the third quarter. So that was definitely interesting until the rookie Brandon Jacobs comes in short yardage back with the rushing touchdown. And safety Jabril Wilson with an impressive interception off Kurt Warner. This is a guy that flew under the radar. He was another rookie drafted in the 4 class. Not really talked about that much. There he is making a play on the field, number 28, the free safety. Uh but he definitely had a good game, and that interception he had set up a 21-yard uh, touchdown by Tiki Barber on the next play. So it, it's definitely interesting because Jabril Wilson came on a lot of blitzes, and then Willie Ponder with a 95-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, and then Chad Morton, a 52-yard punt return for a touchdown, Hank. Uh, and you actually have a fun fact about that. Yes, that was the first time in, I want to say it was 1950 or something. It was well over 50 years since the last time the Giants had a punt return and a kick return touchdown in the same game. A very historic moment for sure. That's crazy. You know, another thing too, it was important the Giants scored special teams touchdowns. That's why they ended up winning 42-19 to because Eli Manning, he had the two touchdown passes, but he also had the two picks and didn't have the best game through the air. So it was important that Tiki Barber and Plaxico Burris showed up, and they did. Plaxico had a touchdown. Tiki had a touchdown. 
They had trouble containing Larry Fitz, but Michael Strahan was good with one and a half sacks. So the Giants are now 1-0 with the win at home. Uh, great way to start off the season. The Cardinals were outscored 35-6 to in the second half, Hank. 35-6. to Not good. Not good at all. All right. So we head on to week two. And, yes, James, he loves the fun fact. Looking forward to tomorrow's fun fact. You can find that on the Review and Preview Instagram page. Thank you very much, James. At Review and Preview. Week two. This game, it was very difficult because the Saints were not able to host the game due to Hurricane Katrina. The Superdome was kind of damaged during the hurricane. And it was not a good start for the Saints as they had to play at Giants Stadium. They fumbled the opening kick. And it was recovered by Chase Blackburn, actually, on the Saints' 10-yard line. Uh, three, pay, three plays later, Brandon Jacobs gets a one-yard touchdown. And the reason why the Giants won this game, in my opinion, was because of plays like that. The undrafted rookie out of Akron, Chase Blackburn, making a play early on. And we will show you who he is. You know, a lot of people know him for his plays in Super Bowl 46, But there he is. He actually wore a different number. Before 93, because he had two stints with the Giants, he came in originally as number 57. Yeah, and that's a guy who we'll mention had a pretty good story like in between those two, but we'll get into that later. He, this was kind of a season where he started to emerge as pretty much a key member of the defense, and he, he was definitely a big reason for them winning this game. I definitely agree. So now the Giants are up 7 nothing, and they pretty much controlled this game. It took a while for Aaron Brooks to get into his – comfort zone that's the Saints quarterback at the time uh and then the Giants kept the foot on the gas Tiki Barber had two touchdowns in the first half and the Giants take a 21 to 10 lead into halftime right so now uh you're looking at it well why can't the Saints score points because the Giants defense had six takeaways in this game including four interceptions off of Aaron Brooks uh Hank uh I think Brooks had three actually but he still had 375 passing yards. A lot yeah. of that came in garbage time towards the end of the game. An interception by Carlos Emmons, the linebacker, number 51. And there he is. He was one of the three original starters with Antonio Pierce and Nick Grison. Uh, Carlos Emmons for you. And then after the, inter- uh, after the interception by him, um, it was definitely interesting because the other two picks were actually to both safeties. Brent Alexander, number 26, a guy the Giants acquired in 2004. Uh, and then Sean Williams, who we remember from 2000 and 2002. But now Sean Williams is a backup behind Jabril Wilson and Brent Alexander. So Sean Williams was kind of a placeholder for you know a more experienced player to come in. And there's Brent Alexander, number 26, He actually led the Giants in team interceptions, uh, individual interceptions for the team in 2005. So a little fun fact. Uh, And Brooks was also sacked four times, two by OC, one by Strahan. The Giants applied some nice pressure. Uh, Joe Horn had a touchdown in the first half, but also had a very key fumble at the one-yard line, and that was the turning point of this game. If Joe Horn doesn't fumble that football, the Saints are in prime position to potentially win this game because the Giants were awarded with a touchback. The Saints were driving down the field. They were down, but the Giants were able to strip that football. Uh, 
Yeah, it was no good. For me, that was the turning point of this game, despite Joe Horn's 143 receiving yards. Definitely, uh, you know, it definitely exploited the weak point of the Giants' defense. That couldn't break coverage. up that on celebration either. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, Chase Blackburn was a teacher at one point in Ohio. Yep, he was. So that's definitely uh, something to always keep in mind. He was sitting on his couch back in 2011 as a teacher before the Giants brought him back. Um, the Giants cornerbacks definitely struggled. Stallworth had a great game as well. Their other receiver on the Saints, Dante Stallworth. Uh, as the Giants definitely were impressive starting out 2-0. and I think these were two games, though, on paper. A lot of people predicted the Giants to win, so there wasn't much surprise yet. But it's still impressive to get off to a 2-0 and start in the NFL, regardless of who you are. So now the Giants are 2-0. They're heading out west to San Diego for week three, Hank. And this was Eli's first visit to San Diego since the draft day debacle where he was drafted by the Chargers. He was booed relentlessly, but there was a lot of respect uh, gained by Eli Manning through this game. Yes. Yes, Eli threw for what was then at the time, because obviously he's he's since had better games. At the time, it was a then career high, 352 yards, and he threw for both touchdowns to, um, I believe it was Burris and Shockey. Yep. It was Plaxico Burris and Jeremy Shockey, the two touchdowns. Yeah, he had a really good game, like after coming into an environment that was very hostile on him, although Tiki Barber said it best. Hey, we yeah. played in Philly, we've dealt with worse. <laughs> Right, and he was lying on the uh, the field in pregame warm-ups saying that as well. Uh, yes. Manning threw for a career-high 352 yards week three of 2005. Uh, despite the loss, he gained a lot of respect. Remember, the Giants were down early. They were down 21-3. to I was pissed. I was frustrated. But then the Giants come back. Uh, Manning had a five-yard touchdown strike to Plaxico Burris. Uh, and then LaDainian Tomlinson had a fumble forced by Nick Rison and Carlos Emmons. That mm-hmm. led to a four-yard touchdown pass from Eli Manning to David Tyree four plays later, making it 21-17, to 17, which was definitely, uh, you know, which was definitely interesting because, uh, you know, the Giants were in this game, but then right after that, LaDainian Tomlinson throws a touchdown pass on the halfback pass. That was definitely rough. Uh, that was the Keenan McCardell, and the Giants' defense had no sacks in this game. Very difficult to watch. Very yeah, and they also had no answers for LaDainian Tomlinson, too. But then again, this is a legendary running back we're talking about. Yeah, three touchdowns on the ground, nearly 200 yards. The Giants' defense, one that you know typically is able to stop the run, definitely struggled in this game for sure. So now the Giants are sitting at 2-1. and one. They're still looking good, folks, And uh, in 2005. And they head to play the Rams in week four. They're back at home for their second home game of the season, technically third because of week two against the Saints with the Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Eli throws for a career-high four touchdown passes, as where the Giants went on a route to beat the Rams 44-24. to 24. Uh, He also had one to Toomer and one to Shockey. And one thing we didn't mention the last two weeks, Eli didn't throw a pick in week two or week three. He didn't throw a pick in week four either. So Eli – who a lot of people refer to as a turnover machine early on in his career, mm-hmm. had no picks in week two, three, and four, which is definitely very impressive. And Plaxico Burris 
over 200 receiving yards and two touchdowns in this game. I was very impressed by him and his performance. The 31 yarder, of course, who could forget about that? Uh, you know, I thought it was a great all around offensive performance. Tiki Barber, 128 yards on the ground. <laughs> and the game featured 900 yards of total offense. 900. That's not a drill, folks. 900 yards. Uh, it was no, they interesting. Yeah. And then Tiki Barber had a good game. Uh, another thing, too, I want to point out the Giants were up 10 7 early. And then they struggled to get the ball into the end zone. And it was fourth and goal. And, you know, Tom Coughlin's ideology usually is to take the points. But what do the Giants do? They throw it to Amani Toomer into the end zone for a touchdown off the play action. And that was Amani Toomer's first touchdown since 2003. Amani Toomer did not score a touchdown in 2004. And I think it was good for Toomer to get that sense of scoring again because it brought his confidence up, considering the Giants really struggled to throw the football the previous two seasons. So it was great to see Amani Toomer back out there. And Mark Bolger, the Rams quarterback at the time, threw 62 passes in this game. Just goes to show you how the Rams really struggled. They were down by a lot. Uh, Definitely not good. Shockey caught a zipper in this game for a 31-yard score. And the Rams' offense just looked atrocious, Hank. They had five turnovers, three of them off Mark Bulger INTs, as were the Giants had zero. And the biggest key to me in this game was the Giants holding Steven Jackson to 16 rushing yards. That was huge. Steven Jackson was a pretty lethal running back for them. Trying to see if we have a look of Burris scoring the touchdown in that game. I know I have it. Just need to figure out where it is. Um. Yeah, he was Plaxico Burris was a tall guy too, folks. He was six foot five. He was very difficult to guard. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought he should have been a Pro Bowler in 2005. I'm not going to argue that with the people who decide that process. But at the end of the day, he was really good. He was really good, and he gave the Giants an outlet where he took attention away from Shockey. He took attention away from Tumor where those guys could get open. I thought I had it. I don't think I do, but uh, here's a picture of Eli and Plexico, 10 and 17. There they are. So now the Giants are three and one. Off to a great start. Week five is their bye, so they headed into the bye nicely. They got well-rested, ready for their first divisional game of the season, week six against the Cowboys on the road, going up against guys like Drew Bledsoe, Keyshawn Johnson, Jason Witten, those guys. Keyshawn Johnson had a rough start to this game in week six. He had a key fumble in the second quarter that gave the Giants the football. It was recovered by our good friend Nick Bryson, number 54, who emerged later on in the season as really the only healthy linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Manning, right back, throws his first pick since week one. He had definitely had a bad game. He was only 14 to 30. Plaxico had a fumble. And then Jose Cortez, remember him from 2002, where he played for the 49ers, got cut, and then played for the Redskins? Have a picture of him. Let's find it. Jose Cortez was the kicker for the Cowboys who kicked the game winning field goal in week six, 48 yards. Um, it was interesting, though, because Cortez also hooked the field goal earlier in this game when Dallas was up. Uh, but then, to me, 
the turning point in this game was when Brandon Jacobs had a fumble at the one-yard line that proved to be costly. It was recovered by Roy Williams. So that definitely hurt. Uh, But before we get to that Cortez game-winning field goal, Hank, uh, Eli still led the Giants to a game-time touchdown drive with a pass to Shockey with 18 seconds left, sending the game to overtime. I remember coming home from a soccer game, listening to that on the radio. Mm-hmm. Where Manning's throwing it to Shockey. I'm like, oh, boy, he has to score. He has to get out of bounds because there's not a lot of time left. And Shockey, yep. the threat that he is, puts it in the end zone. Um, so now in overtime, the Giants, you know, they can't cover tight ends, right? Right. Uh, Cardinal sin. So That's Jason, been a problem for us for years, though. It has. It's been a problem for decades. Jason Witten gets the ball inside our 35, and shortly thereafter, Antonio Pierce commits a pass interference against our old friend Dan Campbell, a former Giant who is the backup for Jason Witten now. Yes. Uh, Cortez kicks the game-winning 45-yard field goal. And there he is. And you know who his holder was, Hank? That would be Tony Romo. Yep. Jose Cortez. You know, that he's definitely an interesting character because obviously he had issues off the field, but – uh, the fact that he was able to still bounce around the league and make big game-winning kicks like that speaks volumes to him. Um, Cowboys were fortunate to win with four turnovers because they were very sloppy in this game, I thought, and they lost left tackle Flozell Adams out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, but Jeremy Shockey still produced over 120 receiving yards. So, you know, it was a decent game for the Giants, but they still didn't score a lot of points. And a good stat brought up by Chris Berman that at that time, the Giants were 3-14 and 14 coming out of the bye week. little fun right. fact. Another um, so now as we move on to week seven, and this is where things are going to get very interesting, folks. They're playing the Denver Broncos. They're now sitting there at 3-2. and two. They're playing Denver. They're at home. The Giants stadium, Tiki Barber, has his only fumble of the season in the first quarter of this game. His only fumble of the season. But now, shows how, how far he'd come in those past few years. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree. Tiki Barber was a guy that had fumble fumbling problems early on in his career, but he was able to uh, you know overcome his demons. And Tom Coughlin fixed that. Tom Coughlin was the reason why Tiki Barber, uh, he taught him how to properly hold a football. As you can see, the way he's holding the football right there, that image, folks, Early on in his career, he held it lower where a defender could just come up behind or in front and punch it out. Now that he has it tucked into the left side of his chest, he was able to be more secure with the football. And Tom Coughlin taught him that. That's a credit to Tom Coughlin. That's a basic uh, treat that Tom Coughlin was taught at Syracuse. Um, And he instilled in his players at Boston College, which is why they didn't commit many turnovers. But after the fumble, Barber comes back with a 34-yard run. Sets up a first-quarter touchdown pass from Manning to Burris. The Giants are up 7-0. Great. Uh, might have been 7-3, to actually, because I think Elam might have hit a field goal before that, the Broncos kicker. Um, but what stunk was Denver pretty much dominated this game. They took a 23-10 to lead into the fourth quarter where the Giants were struggling. They needed points. I think there was about nine minutes left in the game. And uh, I think... 
they threw to Burris again, and he made a nice, good jump ball catch in the end zone for a touchdown, I, I think. No, that was inside the five. Yes, that, that was no, the first touchdown. Tiki Barber in. scored the touchdown. That in. Yeah. Tiki Barber made the score 23-17. And then after that, Elam missed the field goal, so the Giants get the ball back, but then Manning throws a pick to Champ Bailey. So there we go again with the turnovers. And this is concerning because the Giants couldn't stop Broncos running back Mike Anderson all day. See Mike Anderson at 120 yards in this game. Mm-hmm. The Giants notoriously are good for stopping running backs and not giving up many rushing yards, but they did in this game. And it was very fortunate that the defense was able to stop Mike Anderson and get the football back on that last drive. And, folks, for those of you watching now, we're going to actually show you a clip of this drive and how it all unfolded. Week 7, Broncos-Giants down 23-17. to Here we go. Great. So now the Giants are 4-2. They beat the Denver Broncos off that big clutch touchdown by Amani Toomer. Remember, the well-dressed Amani Toomer, a guy who doesn't make many mistakes. Uh, those were the three biggest key plays on that drive, and that was Eli Manning's first fourth-quarter comeback of his career against the, uh, those Denver Broncos. And in my personal opinion, this is what's really interesting about this play, right? Manning drops back. The pressure's right in his face. You see John Lynch right there coming on a safety blitz. Neither quarterback was sacked in this game, but Manning is about to get sacked, right? Coughlin's screaming at him at the top of his lungs on the sideline to throw the football. And what does he do? He delivers it right to Amani Toomer, who's crossing over the middle of the field where Darren, Darren Williams was a little bit late in coverage. And then Amani Toomer makes an excellent catch. Um you know, it was definitely interesting because there was only five seconds left on the clock. So it's not like the Giants had a lot of time either. A lot of people argued that Eli wasted too much time dropping back. And I somewhat agree if he was dropping back that much, he had to make a play because 2005 was a year where Eli still somewhat struggled with his delivery and stepping up in the pocket to make throws. Um, This game also gave me, Flashbacks to 1998 when Kent Graham also hit Amani Toomer for the game-winning touchdown against the undefeated Denver Broncos at the time. Amani Toomer has, uh, you know, been in this situation before. Two game-winning touchdowns against the Denver Broncos in his career. They were seven years apart, but you know, it's still nice. It's still nice. Toomer, on top of the 14 unanswered points, Toomer had eight catches, 62 yards, and a score in this game. In my opinion. This week seven game against the Den- the Denver Broncos was a top ten game in Eli Manning's career, uh, and also and not just because it was his first fourth quarter comeback, but now the Giants were four and zero at home. Hank, yeah, I tend to agree with that. That was I, the whenever I think about this game, I think of this as like the signature Eli Manning moment. Like it gave you signs that in years past he would go on to have that cool, calm and collective mindset where he could leave the giants to a comeback drive and win them big games. So I would say, yeah, that was huge. And I, a little segue into the next week, this game was actually kind of bittersweet though. And as far as next week, we'll get into why, because I believe this was the last game that Wellington Mara lived to see for the giants. Uh, no, he actually died before it. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, the week the week seven game was the last yeah. game he lived to see. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Week eight, the Giants honor their president, their owner, Wellington Mara, who died at the age of eighty nine in two thousand five. Here's a picture of the man the Giants called Duke. Wellington Mara. There he is, folks. He was with the Giants organization when he was nine years old as a ball boy, and he worked his way up to the president of the Giants organization. And I really liked Wellington Mara. He uh, had a philosophy, which I'll talk about in just a few moments, but uh, he died October 25th, 2005. And it was crazy because their co-owner, Robert Tish, who I'll pull up here, died three weeks later in the middle of November. So it was definitely a rough season for the Giants where they wanted to honor, uh, you know, Wellington Mara and Robert Tish. So, Mara's father, Tim, he actually founded the Giants back in 1925. And then, as I mentioned, uh, Mara was also very instrumental in helping pro football become the most popular sport in the United States. By the way, Tom, yeah, to put this in perspective, I'll tell, I'll tell you this stat. When Tim Mara bought the Giants, it was said that it was that the Giants at the time were worth like an empty store with only a few chairs or something like that. Yeah, pretty much. So this was a big deal for them to get football in New York. Yeah, because New York was always looking for a football team. They had the Yankees and whatnot, but let me tell you, Hank, it's it's definitely interesting because they enshrined him into the Hall of Fame, the NFL Hall of Fame back in 1997. So it wasn't like he was just an owner that inherited right. a team, an organization. This guy started from the bottom. So yeah. I really love that story. The Giants called him Duke, and one of his 40 grandchildren sang the national anthem before the Giants-Redskins game. And what was even sweeter was that Tiki Barber had a 57-yard touchdown run on the first play of the game, and here's a photo of that. There's Tiki, number 21, breaking tackles. Yes, that is number 25 safety, Ryan Clark, the former Giant, uh, one of my least favorite players of all of all time. Um, <laughs> and what was crazy was Tiki Barber had a great game. Antonio Pierce had a nice interception off of Mark Burnell. Late in the first half, the Giants actually held Burnell to under 65 passing yards in this game. And the defense held Clinton Portis to just nine yards on the ground, too. So I thought overall in this game, the Giants did a fantastic job because the Redskins, remember, week seven, Washington scored 52 points the previous week. They go from 52 points in week seven to a fat zero in week eight. That doesn't just happen. There's a game plan that's involved in that. And the Giants had the perfect game plan to beat the Redskins. Um, not to mention the second half wasn't much better. Liddell Betts fumbled the opening kickoff for the second half. Um, and then Shockey had a touchdown, making the score 26-0. And then Tiki Barber has the final touchdown of the Week 8 game in 2005. He gives the ball to Wellington Mara's grandson. Very nice gesture. And... You know, this was interesting because the Giants had 262 rushing yards in this game, and this was the first of three games we would see this year that Tiki would rush for over 200 yards. Um, and it was fun, too. Not many teams win 36 nothing nowadays, and your starting quarterback only completes 12 passes. So I definitely think Eli Manning had a really good supporting cast and was fortunate for that early on in the season. Um, the sacks were there, too. The Giants applied pressure. They had four sacks. The Giants also, they pitched their first shutout in five years. Remember, their first uh, 
their most previous shutout was the 2000 NFC championship game between the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings that we covered in the 2000 episode. Um, And it was just very interesting because the Giants, they shut them out a week after their president died and they embraced two things that Wellington Merrill loved. And we know what those two things are, a powerful defense and a running game and a strong running game. Those are the two things that Mara loved. That's um, football right there. Yeah. <laughs> so now the Giants are five and two and they're moving on to week nine where they're going to play the San Francisco 49ers on the road. First trip there since that fateful game that we covered in the last episode. This was the first trip to San Francisco since the meltdown in the 2002 wild card round against the 49ers where the Giants lost 39 to 38 in a game that the Giants should have won and advanced. So remember the Giants still have a sour taste in sour taste in their mouth hang. Yes. Uh, Giants are up three nothing late in the first half. And then Cody Pickett, who's starting this game, again, another backup quarterback, throws a pick to Brent Alexander who then laterals it to Will Allen. It was the funniest thing ever, uh, in my opinion. And Will Allen took it for uh, a good return. And then um, I also think that Shockey had a very important play in this game. It was fourth and one. Then Shockey scored a touchdown that was 32 yards on a fourth and one play uh, where the game was still in the balance there, Hank. Um, and then Plaxico Burris. Also had a key one-handed catch in this game. He uh, he had a nice catch at the end of the third, and then Brandon Jacobs pounded it in for a touchdown. And fun fact about Brandon Jacobs, folks, this man had seven rushing touchdowns as a rookie, but only 99 rushing yards. I've got to tell you. Uh, James Walsh says, let's go Islanders. Uh, yeah, so uh, I know their, their game started, but... Giants related show, so we're gonna we're gonna avoid that. Um, but yeah, week nine, Manning's first career road true road victory, where he threw for over two hundred fifty yards. Brandon Jacobs, two late fourth quarter touchdowns, definitely uh, served as the difference in this game, and the Giants giving up only one hundred thirty eight total yards. So, look now the Giants are six and two, six and two, and they're playing the Minnesota Vikings week ten. Up in the dome, up in the Metro Dome. That was a home game. Oh, you're right. You're right because I'm just thinking they have all these home games. And, yeah, you're right. I, crazy. So first part about this game, wide receiver Jamar Taylor takes out head coach Mike Tice. Uh, yeah, he took out his knee in this game. This is the start and, of a weird game. Yeah, it was a weird game. Not just Manning throwing the four picks, not to mention Shar- Sharper, Darren Sharper the hardest hitting free safety in the league had three of them, including he took one to the house for 92 yards on Manning, but Brad Johnson, an old veteran quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2002. started this game. This was the second start for the Minnesota Vikings coming in relief for Dante Culpepper, who was hurt. This game was very, very interesting, Hank, and we're going to talk about it right now. Well, why do you think that might be? Well, the Vikings. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, because the Vikings had what Bob Barker from Price is Right would call a historic moment. And that historic moment was they had a pick six, a punt return touchdown, 
and a kick return touchdown all in the same game. That's how they scored all their touchdowns. And not only that, but you know what? The defense, they had more interception yards than they did on the offense. Yeah, they did. That's- so the um, the pick six returned for a touchdown, a punt returned for a touchdown, a kick returned for a touchdown via Darren Sharper, Corin Robinson with a 96-yard kick return, and then Moel D. Moore with a 71-yard uh, punt return for a touchdown. That's the first time that's happened in an NFL game in history. And that accounted for, I want to say, oh gosh, I don't even know. It, it accounted for like almost 300 yards and the Vikings only had 137 total yards of offense. <laughs> the Vikings had more interception return yards in this game than total yards. 149 return yards and 137 yards on offense. No figure. Manning also threw another interception late in the red zone to Darren Sharper in the fourth quarter. But the Giants tied the game late in this game on a touchdown uh, by Tiki Barber, where they also uh, they converted the two-point conversion to Tiki as well. And then they end up losing on a 48-yard field goal to Paul Edinger, the kicker. So that was rough. And part of that was because the Giants couldn't contain Vikings tight end Jermaine Wiggins, who, quite frankly, t- uh, tight ends still haunt the Giants in 2020. Giants can't cover them. They don't have linebackers that are uh, adaptable enough to, you know, be good in pass coverage and limit tight ends. So Barber had 95 yards on the ground in this game, but he did have 111 receiving yards. OC had two sacks, but this was this just seemed like a trap game. The Vikings were three and five heading into this game. They weren't good, and then they just come out and win all of a sudden with a backup quarterback and not even performing great on offense. The Giants, Coughlin's emphasis on limiting turnovers cost the Giants this game. So now we head into week 11, right? Week 11's here. They're playing the Philadelphia Eagles, first time of the season. Backup's in, Mike McMahon. Um, And quite frankly, uh, look, I'm going to be honest with you. The Giants' offensive line was not good in this game. The Giants had a very under-the-radar offensive line that consisted of these five players. Luke Pettigrew, number 77, the left tackle. David Deal, number 66, the left guard. Sean O'Hara, number 60, the center. Chris Snee, the right guard, number 76, and the right tackle, number 67, Kareem McKenzie. Giants gave up a boatload of stacks in this game, two and a half for Javon Curse, and then one and a half for rookie Trent Cole. Crazy that I'm calling Trent Cole a rookie back in 2005. It's been so long ago. Um, Players too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. So it was crazy because in this game, uh, the offensive line was not good, but the special teams was. Uh, Reggie Hodges had a punt block by David Tyree. I know we showed that earlier, but maybe we'll show it again just for fun. Little, uh, <laughs> a little special teams play for David Tyree. See if I can get that up here. Why not? He had an underrated, under the radar bid season. I think so. I mean, he made a Pro Bowl. He yeah. made a Pro Bowl appearance. So uh, definitely have so many images. But yeah, David Tyree was definitely a guy that the Giants loved on special teams. A, a great all time player uh, and. Here's a big hit on Mike McMahon in this game by Antonio Pierce. The defense played up the par, though. They made up for the struggles that offensive line had. And 
yeah, you know, it was definitely, it was just all around interesting. Uh, can't find the Tyree image. That's a shame. I know it's there somewhere, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, we'll find it. Um, in this game, the Giants are up 13 to 10. Then Eli Manning rolls out and hits Jeremy Shockey for a touchdown, uh, making a score 20 to 10. Now the Giants have somewhat of a comfortable cushion, but then come the struggles. Oh, there's the Tyree image. There it is. Blocking the punt on Reggie Hodges. Mm-hmm. Jay Feely shanks a field goal up by 10. No good. No good. Um, look, Jay Feely was definitely tough to watch in this season. Uh, I've got to say he was good at times. There he is, number two. But he had a couple of very, very shaky games, missing that field goal. But the Giants shut the door on Philadelphia with a 61-yard touchdown pass from Manning to Plaxico Burris, the prized wide receiver. And the Giants snapped a four-game losing streak to the Philadelphia Eagles it was the first time the Giants won against the Eagles since week 17 of 2002. And that is where the Giants clinched the playoff berth against the Eagles. The 10-7 to win with the shocky leapfrog touchdown over Brian Dawkins. Very classic game. Fun fact, too. Yes. Fans, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to comment in the stream. We'll get back to you. You are watching the journey of the 2005 New York football giants here on review and preview sports, Tom Scavetta with Hank and Dictor. Uh, we have just approached the eight o'clock hour here on the East coast. And now we are going to uh, wrap up week 11. This was also the 600th win in franchise history. And more yeah, importantly, there was, I was going to say that is another fun fact from this game. Yeah. More importantly though, the giants were now tied for, uh, for first in the NFC East. Manning had the three touchdown passes, of course. Plaxico Burris was great, over 100 receiving yards. Barber over 100 yards, just classic 2005 game. Tiki and Burris both over 100. Great. Week 12, the 7-3 and three Giants traveling to play the 8-2 and two Seattle Seahawks, the top team in the NFC at that time. And they flew out west. The Seahawks were on a six-game winning streak, and – Giants backup quarterback Tim Hasselbeck met his brother, Matt Hasselbeck, the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Here's a look at Tim. Number eight, and right in front of Eli there, Tim Hasselbeck. And this game at Quest Field saw 11 false start penalties on the New York Giants. Five of the false start penalties were on left tackle Luke. Pettigrew. Luke Pettigrew, the Giants like to call him Mr. False Start because, quite frankly, that's who he was. Sad, but true. Yeah, he was a good one, but that was definitely a problem. Yeah. And I will say this in fairness, a lot of teams have had that problem when playing at Quest Field. They don't call that stadium and their fan base the 12th man for nothing. Yep. I would definitely agree with that. Um, now, we have to talk about. Sean Alexander, he was shut down in this game. He could not get any yards. The Giants did a really good job of containing him, I thought, Hank. Um, the Giants' defense limited him uh, and, the, quite frankly, the NFL's highest scoring offense. You know, I thought that Sean Alexander, who won the rushing title this season, was going to go off, but I was surprised when uh, you know, the Giants were limiting him. And the Giants competed 
with the Seahawks in this game. There's a picture of Sean Alexander getting wrapped up by a couple of Giants defenders. Yeah, so that was good. And then um, the Giants punter, Jeff Fiegels, actually set an NFL record in this game, Hank, playing in his 283rd consecutive NFL game. Thoughts on Jeff Fiegels? Oh, Jeff Fiegels is definitely one of the very underrated and really probably one of the best punters in Giant history. And I I definitely think of him as one of the ageless wonders and – he was a master at pinning teams down like deep in their own zone. Now, was he not? I really thought he was. I thought he was the best punter in NFL history doing that. Yeah, um, really good punter and someone I think was definitely helpful for the Giants in, their, uh, in what I like to call their glory years. It was, yep. Matt Hasselback had a key touchdown pass to open the game, uh, a play action to an old friend, former Giant Joe Juravicious, wide receiver, number 87, who will pull up on the screen here shortly. But uh, it's crazy because um, they had they didn't really have a lot of significant weapons on that offense. I mean, they had uh, Jeremy Stevens, they had Sean Alexander, Juravicious, and Bobby Ingram. But uh, to me, I really wasn't expecting Joe Juravicious to go off on this game, but he did. That's an image of him making a catch against the Redskins, but in that Seattle Seahawks uniform, uh, yeah, you know, the Giants and the Seahawks were fighting for the top seed in the NFC in that game. Joe Juravicious came through with eight catches, 137 yards, and two touchdowns. And two touchdowns. Another key play in this game I thought was essential was the Sean Alexander touchdown on fourth and goal. Uh, and it was crazy because this game was very back and forth. And then Brennan Alexander actually had an interception with less than two minutes to go off of Matt Hasselbeck that led to the game-tying touchdown pass from Matting to Toomer. Classic. Uh, and then they converted the two-point attempt to Jeremy Shockey. So now the game is tied. Um, and then the Giants get the ball back. Feely misses a field goal. I think Philly missed three field goals in this game. Two of them were in overtime because this game went to overtime. Philly missed the first field goal. It was not good because Tiki Barber had a 49-yard run in overtime to put the Giants in prime position to win this game. I don't know if this was the the 12th man at Quest Field that got to to Philly. I'm not quite sure, but then he missed again a second field goal later on, and it was quite a shame, to be honest. Yeah, this one was not one of his better games. And the Giants could have really used this game, too, because had they won, I believe they would have tied Seattle for what I think was the best record in the NFC and could have really put them in prime position to have the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But it it was just one of those games where it was back and forth. And, yeah, a a bad luck thing had to happen for the Giants to lose this game. And, yeah. There's a look at his miss, his uh, somber reaction to the missed field goal. But Jay Philly was a decent kicker, I thought. He was pretty decent, but he missed those field goals. And statistically, the Giants dominated this game. Uh, Seattle won on a field goal of their own by kicker Josh Brown, who would be 10 years later a Pro Bowl kicker for the Giants. Uh, So the Seahawks win 
24 to 21 in overtime. There was only two and a half minutes remaining in overtime. So somebody had a score or else the game was going to end in a tie week 12. So the Seahawks improved to nine and two. The Giants dropped to seven, dropped to seven and four. And it was crazy because Tiki again, over 150 rushing yards. He's doing this every week against every defense. I mean, this is a defense with, with Lofa Tatupu, Grant Wistrom. They had a lot of guys on that defense that can make plays, Hank. And Eli, out of nowhere, 350 yards at Quest Field? Come on. And remember, this is a Seattle team that would go on to make it to the Super Bowl that year. So pretty impressive, all things considered, when you think about it. When I read two stats on this game, the 490 yards of total offense and dominating time of possession, the Giants 100% should have won this game. Absolutely. Shockey was over 100 yards. Burris was over 100 yards. Tiki was over 150 yards. And Manning was over 340 yards. How did the Giants not win this game and only score 21 points? It beats me, quite frankly. But It may have been because of the field goals, but, well, I don't know. It's it's This was a game that I remember watching. It, it was pretty frustrating, too, but... You know, I, I think I pretty much learned some. That was really one of the first games where I learned sometimes bad luck happens in football. I agree. I agree with you 100%. Um, now, we look at Sean Alexander's total in this game, 110 rushing yards. He was decent. Jura Vicious, we talked about. Who? How did he get all these catches in this game, right? Now we're going to identify rookie Corey Webster. The cornerback, uh, Corey Webster had a real rough going. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, he got picked on a lot in this game. He actually led the team with 10 tackles. So now the Giants dropped the seven and four, and they're in desperate need of a win to stay in the NFC East race. So, yeah, you know, that's definitely uh, definitely interesting. You know, we talked about the rookies on this team, Jacobs, Tuck, Webster, Blackburn, Butler, those guys. They had to come up key, and Corey Webster was unable to in week 12. Week 13, however, the Giants go back home to play the Dallas Cowboys, a game that they win 17-10, to 10, where they wore their red alternate jerseys. You love to see it. There's a picture of Jeremy Shockey wearing his, number 80. And in this game, uh, it was Tom Coughlin against Bill Parcells. Classic Bill Parcells. We're going to show a picture here with him and Michael Strahan. Mm-hmm. Big Tuna, they call him, the head coach that brought the Giants two Super Bowl rings. Obviously, Coughlin brought the other two. Parcells and Coughlin, safe to say, you know, the two best head coaches of this past 50-year era of the Giants, hands down. Oh, not even debatable. This was an old-school type of game with two old-school head coaches. There's three trees in the NFL in history. It's Bill Walsh. Bill Parcells, and then there's one other person. I always forget his name, but uh, I don't know if you could think of it. But um, Jacobs. I can see him in my mind, too. I see him in my mind. I'm just, like, struggling with this one. (laughs) So Brandon Jacobs had a big touchdown in this game off a 12-play drive, so the Giants went up early. Remember, this was a game where not a lot of points were scored, 17-10 to in 2005. That was, you know. That was more of a typical. It wasn't like, oh, they only scored 17 to 10. So big play in this game made by Justin Tuck, the rookie, number 91. This is only sack of the season as a rookie in his rookie campaign. There's a picture of him as a rookie in 2005, number 91. 
he wasn't a starter for a while. He would have been a starter if Strahan had retired, but Strahan continued to go. Um, Antonio Pierce also recovered a fumble for a touchdown in this game that was forced by Kendrick Clancy, a defensive tackle. I know Kendrick Clancy and Fred Robbins were the uh, not Fred Robbins, William Joseph were the starting defensive tackles in 2005. It was O.C., Strahan, Joseph, and Clancy on the line, Hank. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was definitely a decent, not one of their better fronts, but it was a decent front that held their own. And Kenderick Allen was there as well, number 97. Um, Fred Robbins was kind of an afterthought, which is shocking. But, um, yeah, so now the Giants are up 17-3, to and then Jay Feely doinks a field goal after the Cowboys score. So now it's 17-10. to Dallas is getting the ball back. Drew Bledsoe, what does he do? He throws his fourth pick of the game, this one to Brent Alexander to put the icing on the cake. Jason Witten had only one catch in this game, and the defense had four sacks, two forced fumbles, two picks. Uh, yeah, crazy. Now the Giants moved into first place in the NFC East, and guess what? What's the theme here? Every game we've talked about, Tiki has over 100 yards. Guess what? Tiki Barber had 115 yards on the ground against a stout Cowboys defense. Only 115. <laughs> right, because he had over 200 yeah. once already, 150, 140. He was, he was dropping out 150 games at the rate that Bernard King was dropping 45 points for the Knicks back in the 80s, basically. <laughs> I like that reference, Hank. I, yeah. I, I really do. You're a funny guy. Thanks, man. I try. <laughs> Week 14 – the Giants are 8-4, and four, right? So now the Giants control their own destiny on their path to the playoffs. The Giants are looking to win their ninth game of the season. They're in Philadelphia. The Giants, historically, they don't win in Philadelphia. So what happens? Brian Westbrook is out. McMahon is starting at quarterback again. It was a tough day because they lost Antonio Pierce for the season after suffering a leg injury in the first quarter. But the Giants still found a way to win 26-23. And if you don't know who Antonio Pierce is, I still think there hasn't been a better linebacker on this team since Antonio Pierce left. Here's oh, here he I is, number fifty-eight. I agree with that. I was remember being pretty upset when he left, and I completely agree. He was a big part of their great years, and I, I really think he was a very underrated Giant too, because he's not really one of the first people you think of when you think of great Giants linebackers, but. Uh, he was definitely very important for the Giants, for sure. This We're going to see where he uh, fills in on this top 10 player list shortly. But before okay. we get there, Hank, um, Antonio Pierce had 100 tackles in just 13 games. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I first found out the Giants signed Antonio Pierce, I really didn't care that much because he was a reserve linebacker for the Redskins. He started on the outside, but then the Giants moved him to the inside, and that's where he made his living, controlling a defense. Yes. So it was definitely great to see. Um, the Giants' defense also had six sacks on Mike McMahon in this game, two of them by Strahan, one and a half by O.C. Barber scored a touchdown on the opening drive after a 40-yard run, uh, which is nuts because the Giants just continue to run the football all over their opponents. But then backup running back Ryan Motes had two touchdowns in this game. He scored one also on a 40-yard run that would tie the game at seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the game was tied with seven, Eli Manning did the unthinkable. Uh, he actually had a quarterback sneak in for a touchdown, which there he is. 
back in 2005. A little bit of a younger look of Eli Manning. Still the, uh, you know, the fun-loving quarterback that we all love here in New York. But I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Eli, I thought he had a decent game. Um, on that quarterback sneak play, actually, we talk about Pierce leaving the game. Eagles linebacker Jeremiah Trotter also had to leave the game. It was definitely interesting. But then later on, Moats scored a second touchdown to tie it. Moats actually had over 100 yards, which is not doesn't happen often against the Giants. Um, I'm going to be honest here. David Akers, it's a 50-yard field goal. Michael Lewis picks off Eli Manning. I'm worried because I know the game is probably going to go to overtime. Uh, and then McMahon ends up fumbling on a strip sack forced by OCU Minora. Mr. Strip Sack. And guess what happens? The game goes in overtime. Jay Feely had to make four field goals in this game, and Jay Feely got his redemption Yes, uh, for what happened two weeks ago in Week 12. He made the game winner uh, as the Giants win this game 26-23. And here is Jay Feely, mm-hmm. number two. Yes. So now the Giants improved to nine and four. Uh, this was really a great feeling, not for just Jay Feely, but the special teams unit. Uh, we didn't talk about the long snapper much, a long snapper named Ryan Keel. I'm sure you, you remember him a yes. little bit. Um, Shockey was great. Ten catches over 100 yards. And then Barber, 124 yards on the ground, 71 through the air. What it do? Tiki, nine and four, Giants. Yeah. In the driver's seat, going home to play the Kansas City Chiefs' last home game of the regular season. Final home game and the final home game for PA announcer Bob Shepard, who, gosh, worked for the organization over fi- over fifty years. He lived to be ninety nine years old. Hank, ninety nine. Yeah. As a as a hardcore Yankee fan, too, what can I say? Bob Shepard has probably the most iconic voice in of all time. I'm not even just talking sports history. Like whenever you hear that voice, it's, it's amazing. And he, I would happen to agree. (laughs) He he has done so many games. You want, by the way, I'm going to give you a little fun fact about him. You want to know what he said his favorite game of all time is. Let's hear it. Most people would assume that it was a baseball game, but when he, when he was asked this question by Phil Rizzuto, he said the game in 1958, last game of the season, Pat Summerall kicked a game-winning field goal in the snow, set up a one-game playoff against the Cleveland Browns, which yeah. they ended up winning. And they almost won the championship that too, but they lost that. That was the greatest game ever played. Yeah. Good stuff, Hank. Good stuff. Um, fun fact in this game. Remember this man? That's Chase Blackburn, number 57. Yep. Rookie. Linebacker gets the start in place of Antonio Pierce, who's out for the season. Blackburn leads the team in tackles in this game with nine. And uh, this was his first career start. He was starting next to two other linebackers uh, for the Giants in Reggie Torbor, who we will get up in just a moment. And then also um, here's a picture of Reggie, number 53, and Nick Rice. Those were the three starting linebackers at this point, Blackburn, Grison, and Torbor. The Giants lost Emmons. Remember, they lost Barrett Green, and they lost AP. So now they're signing guys off the street. Kevin Lewis is a backup. Uh, I've, they signed Roman Pfeiffer the last week of the season. It was crazy, 37 years old, just out of nowhere. Um, 
Yeah, you know, also a couple of future Giants playing in this game for Kansas City. Uh, first off, a guy who kicked us into two Super Bowls, Lawrence Tynes. Yes. He had the first points of this game against the Giants, a 19-yard field goal. Nobody knows this fact. It's crazy. And I just look at it. I'm like, yeah, Lawrence Tynes used to play for the Chiefs before the Giants. Yeah, that feels so weird to think about because – He's now he's now a legend in Big Blue history. It, it definitely felt weird thinking about him as a chief before and a Buccaneer afterwards. Do you know who the other future giant was in this game? That would be Kawika Mitchell. Kawika Mitchell, number fifty mm-hmm. for the Chiefs, led the Chiefs in tackles in this game. When he came to the Giants, he switched his number to fifty-five. Mm-hmm. This was in the year two thousand seven. He only played one season with the Giants, but. It's crazy how the Giants played against some of their future players. It's always fun to point that stuff out, you know? Definitely. Tell, tell, just tell a story. Get those facts out there. That's what we're all about. Uh, so the Giants are down 3 nothing after the Titans field goal. What does Takey do? Breaks loose, 41-yard touchdown run. Great. So now the Giants are in front. 9-4, and four, sitting pretty, at home, up 7-3. Cool. Mm-hmm. Then Barber has a 55-yard run. That set up the Giants to get a 13-10 to 10 lead. Uh, I know Toomer had a 31-yard touchdown as well in this game where he broke through multiple players. That put the Giants up 20-10. to 10. So the Giants did a great job. Uh, they end up winning the game 27-17. to 17. Larry Johnson had uh, 167 yards on the ground and two scores. But Larry Johnson was a top five back in the league that year. So it was, he was very difficult to bring down anyway. He kind of reminded me of a little bit faster version of Eddie George from the Titans. That's what Larry Johnson was. And then Barber's second touchdown is really what ended up sealing the deal in this game, but brought the Giants a 27-17 win. Uh, he set a Giants team record with 220 rushing yards. And I got a fun fact about that. Let's hear it. This was a record that stood for 55 years. The previous record holder of that is a guy, not too many giant fans alive, probably know his name. Gene Gene Choo Choo Roberts. Yep. In 1950. You probably, the reason you don't know his name, he was only on the giants for four years and then he bolted into the CFL afterwards. Crazy. Yeah. You know, I've got to say, it's just crazy looking back and seeing all these records that the Giants broke this season. And um, the Giants are now 9-4. and four. They're playing Washington. Week 16, they're playing the Redskins. And Manning and the Giants lose the game. Santana Moss scores three touchdowns. Manning was okay. Uh, there was a wide receiver screen run early on. I remember it. Burnell throws it to Moss, and he scored. I think it was a 52-yard touchdown pass, too. It was nothing crazy, but yeah, it was Burnell – to Santana Moss. The Giants couldn't stop Santana Moss, Hank. He had three scores in this game. Oh, he was good. He he was too good. And the Giants, or sorry, the Redskins rather, unfortunately got their revenge. And this was actually a game that, in my opinion, kind of hurt the Giants, really. Because it, they were coming to this game needing a win to not only win the division, but they could have really put themselves in the driver's seat and gotten themselves like a first round buy. hundred percent. The giants could have gotten a first round buy if they won this game. Yeah. Uh, 
So the Giants are down 7 nothing, and then starting rookie middle linebacker Chase Blackburn has a pick six, 31 yards off of Burnell. Uh, I think that put the Giants up 10-7. to I think they were down 7-3 to at that point. And um, we'll get one more picture of Chase. I know we've been showing him a lot. There he is, number 57, who later broke his neck about an hour and a half later. That is correct. I don't know if you Giants fans watching now, you remember Chase Blackburn always had like a neck pad, like a burner up on his neck. That's because he broke a lot of players who previously break their neck do that. And that's why he wore one throughout majority of his career. So they lost Blackburn. So now they're down to Nick Rison, Reggie Torbor, and Kevin Lewis for the Giants. These are just not, quite frankly, these are not um, great linebackers. Grison was probably the most experienced and best one. So Brunel then scores a, uh, throws a second touchdown pass to Santana Moss, this one for 59 yards, giving the Redskins the lead right back. Uh, and it was crazy, right? The Giants gave up two touchdown passes to running backs in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clinton Portis threw a halfback pass to Chris Cooley, the tight end number 47, another tight end the yeah. uh, Giants could not cover. Hey, shout out John Goodnow joining the screen. I tuned in for a bit. You sure did. You're here. Welcome. Uh, How's it going, John, buddy? John Goodnow from Chappaqua, New York. I said it correctly this time. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. A year and a half later. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, the Redskins are up 21 to 10, right? Chris Cooley scores the touchdown. Nick Rison, the only sack of Mark Burnell in this game. And uh, it's crazy because Burnell had to leave for a sprained MCL. So who comes in the game? Backup quarterback Patrick Ramsey cleans up the rest of the, uh, uh, the, rest of the trash, wins the game uh, for the Redskins 35 to 20. Uh, Clinton Portis actually outrushed Barber 108 to 80. Uh, Connor Schnitterman. Shindo, what's good, buddy? Schnitterman. Go Giants always. Yep, go Giants. Definitely uh, love to see Giant fans here. Fans of any team are welcome to watch this stream. Big shout-out to my boy, Connor Schnitterman. We were teammates from uh, Horace Greeley on the football team back in the day. Good times. Looks like good now. Started a watch party. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was crazy because then Ramsey hit Santana Moss for his third touchdown of the game. 72 yards, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking about it now. The uh, Washington was up 28-17, and the loss would come back to bite the Giants, as you yeah. said, because the Giants lost out on a first-round bye due mm-hmm. to this loss. But um, the Vikings' loss to the Ravens put the Giants in the playoffs. Yeah. And then uh, Washington – they were remember they were five and six, and then they ended the season on a five game winning streak, which is why they finished ten and six. And they were able to make the sixth seed in the playoffs, as the Giants were they, they were the four, and then Washington was the six. So we're heading into the last. Game. We've talked about that team. That was let's hear. It. This, believe it or not, was actually this might actually this was the best Washington team of the Dan Snyder era. As sad as that might sound, because it was the only one that actually won a playoff game. Yep. That's that. That is correct. Um, so at this time, we still have two more videos to show you guys, and they are both of the week set uh, the week seventeen game out in Oakland on New Year's Eve against the Oakland Raiders. And you might remember this guy at quarterback. We're about to show you number five, Kerry Collins, 
former quarterback for the Giants that brought them to a Super Bowl in the year 2000. Hank, thoughts on number five, Kerry Collins? Kerry Collins, what can I say? He's not, he's a very under the radar player, but a guy who had some great seasons and turned out to be a very good Giants quarterback. And, but you know, this was our first game against him and Giants did a good job, job on him for the most part in this game. I agree with you 100%. And at this time, we are going to show you a touchdown scored by Tiki Barber that still sits today in the history books of the 2000 New York Giants. Remember, no score up to this point. I'm going to share my screen here. And here we go. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, It was a little loud there towards the end. That was backup quarterback Tim Hasselback giving Tiki a high five. So Tiki Barber, a 95-yard touchdown, guys, which was the longest rushing touchdown uh, in the history of the 81-year New York Giants at the time. They were around for 81 years at that point. And um, it was crazy because Barber ended up getting his third 200-yard rushing game of the season. And, however, the Giants were up 7-0. Kerry Collins, the quarterback for the Oakland Raiders, the former Giant, we're going to show you another picture again. There he is against his former teammate, Michael Strahan. He was not going away quietly in this game. The Raiders tie the game 7-7, right? So Kerry Collins hits Randy Moss. We all know who Randy Moss is. Classic wide receiver for the Raiders, the Vikings, the Patriots, you name it. He was on several teams throughout his NFL career. Niners. Correct. You would be correct, Hank. And he scores a touchdown to tie the game at seven. Later on, Eli Manning would throw a 78-yard touchdown pass to his favorite wide receiver at the time, Plaxico Burris, who happened to do this a lot. (laughs) Always on the phone on the bench, Plaxico Burris. Every time after he scored a touchdown, guys, what he would do, he'd pick up the phone and he would call. He would call the offensive coordinator. Sometimes Huffnagel would be down. He'd be up. He'd talk to the wide receiver coach as well. Um, yeah, shout out James Walsh. The Islanders are on. I really, I don't really care about them, Hank. I don't, I don't know about you. But uh, anyway, so, Sorry. guys, um, no, you're good. So after the 78-yard touchdown pass, that was the longest play of either Eli or Plaxico's career up to that point. Giants are now up 70, uh, sorry, 17 to 7. I was about to say 78 because that's how long the touchdown was. So up 17 to 7. John Gooden now has a question. Let's see. Yeah, we we don't know who he was calling. Who was he calling? We don't, we don't know for sure, but we did see it on TV. He was probably one of the uh, offensive coaches upstairs. Good one, John. Um, okay, so 17 to 7. Kerry Collins and the Raiders have the ball back. They anchor a 71-yard drive at the end of the half with an eight-yard touchdown pass to Doug Gabriel. But the Giants now up 17-14. to What do they get? They get a 58-yard punt return from their punt returner, Chad Morton, who I don't think we've showed a picture of yet. We'll get him up here now quick for you. I apologize. This might be a, might be a red jersey, Chad. No, it's not. There he is, number 29, Chad Morton. Small guy, 5 feet, 8 inches tall. And, yes, you're correct. He actually played for the Jets before coming over to the Giants. little fun fact about Chad. Small guy. Um, That set up a one-yard touchdown for Brandon Jacobs, the rookie running back. As we mentioned before, seven touchdowns on his rookie campaign. Very impressive. So now 
Giants are up 27-14. What does Kerry Collins do? Comes back again. 44-yard touchdown to Randy Moss, right? Hank, mm-hmm. we know this from Kerry Collins' time with the New York Giants. He can sling the football. He knows how to score yes, points. Yes, he can. And this is just my opinion. I always thought he was a little bit more accurate of a passer than Eli Manning. I thought Eli was a little more streaky. He had better moments. Yeah. I think Collins was definitely more accurate of the two. Although, of course, my favorite is Eli. Oh, that's – yeah, no. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. At the end of this game, the Giants are up 30-21. to 21. The NFC East title is on the line. They Remember, the Giants already clinched the playoff berth, but they're trying to clinch the division, folks. Because remember, division means home game, the playoffs. Correct. That means a home game in the playoffs, which is huge. You want a home game in the opening round. Uh, And then at the end of the game, the Raiders are down inside the Giants' red zone. Remember, former quarterback Terry Collins trying to spoil the Giants' division uh, winning chances. And then this goal line uh, stand occurred, which we are going to pull up right now for you guys, our last video clip. Here it is. Enjoy. Right. So the Giants are 11 and 5. They're the NFC's champions. They're going to the playoffs and they're hosting a playoff game for the first time since the 2000 NFC Championship game. What a better way to host a a playoff game. Also, fun fact, did you see who tackled Kerry Collins on that goal line stand? Do you know who it was, Hank? That would be Michael Strahan. Well, Tuck was in there as well. Yeah. Tuck was in there as well. Yes. But uh, they kept him out of the end zone. Collins definitely had the better game of the two quarterbacks, 331 yards, but OC did have two sacks on him. Uh, Luke Pettigrew, I thought, did a solid job against defensive end Derek Burgess. Fun fact about him, he actually led the Raiders in sacks. I actually led the NFL in sacks. Yeah, in the year say, I, think, I think it was the NFL. Yeah, and the Giants had a record-setting 21st division title and 27th playoff appearance of all time, tying the Cowboys and the Rams for the most ever. Uh, the season of 2005 came at an expense of losing key players, and it ended on wild card weekend against the Carolina Panthers, mm-hmm. uh, 23 to nothing. Uh, this was the first home playoff game in five years. Going up against the Panthers, familiar face in defensive coordinator John Fox, who is now the Panthers' head coach. Veterans like Jake DeLome and wide receiver Steve Smith really dominated this game. DeLome, the quarterback for the Panthers, and Smith, his favorite wide receiver. Smith had the only two touchdowns of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought DeLome did a nice job. He opened up the scoring with a touchdown pass to Smith in the second quarter. And then after that, the Giants, uh, I think they fumbled at one point, and that led to John Casey kicking a 31-yard field goal, 10 nothing Panthers. So now what? Well, Alonzo Jackson uh, brought up Kevin Lewis a few weeks prior. So Alonzo Jackson was signed, and he actually started this game with Kevin Lewis and Nick Grison. Alonzo Jackson, who is that? The Giants just pick him up. Um it's crazy. And safety Marlon McCree did a really nice job in this game. He had two of the three interceptions of Eli Manning. And fun fact about McCree, he played under Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville. So Tom Coughlin knew what he was getting himself into with McCree, the former wide receivers coach that Tom Coughlin was. But to me, yes, the turnovers hurt. Only getting 132 total yards as an offense hurt. 
Eli's three picks were rough. The five turnovers in general. Um, the Giants still had four sacks on Belome in this game, two of them coming from Strahan. But, Hank, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, in my personal opinion, the biggest problem was they were unable to mm-hmm. contain the Carolina Panthers running back, this man right here, Deshaun Foster. Deshaun Foster, number 26, as we display there in the middle of the screen, he uh, had 151 yards, and the Panthers ended up becoming the first team to shut out a home playoff team since the 1979 NFC Championship game. The Panthers as a unit. Rams against the Buccaneers. Correct. My nothing. Good one. I like it. At Tampa Stadium. Yeah. And then the Panthers had 223 rushing yards as a team. It's crazy because you look at this Giants roster, top to bottom. It was a great season. They were on the road to glory again, being an 11-5 and team, winning your division. That doesn't happen every year, especially, especially in a very competitive NFC East at that time where teams would just beat each other up. But, look, I'm going to be honest. I, I was very impressed with the Giants. I was disappointed and had a sour taste in my mouth. It ended the way it did, especially with the way they played the Seahawks yes. uh, that season. You know, I thought the Seattle Seahawks were really good. Um, they actually they represented the NFC in the Super Bowl that year. So the Giants, and they probably should have won that Super Bowl, if not for a lot of controversial calls that went against them. You know, I don't like to look too much into that, but, um, but I, probably, I definitely see your point there with that, for sure. I probably just ticked off a lot of Steelers fans with that comment. but Well, I don't think Dom yeah. is watching. Or, but another underrated player on this team is fullback Jim Finn. Uh, paved the way for Tiki Barber and his 1,800 rushing yards. I really liked what he brought to the table, Hank. Um, and then, of course, the tight end Jeremy Shockey, his third Pro Bowl in four years. Seven touchdowns, which tied a career high for him. And fun fact about Shockey, that's not so fun, actually. He never started all 16 games in an NFL season. There he is, number 80, with that luscious blonde hair. Um, Some people call it polyester. I think it's legit. He is uh, a blonde. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's crazy. The Giants had so many key players on this team. We talked about Jeff Fiegels, their 39-year-old punter, who was the best ever at pinning opponents deep. Um, Jabril Wilson, second-year safety, who led the team in tackles. Curtis DeLoach, who we didn't even talk about. He ended up starting 13 games for the injured Will Peterson, who only started two games. Brent Alexander. And Nick Ryson, uh, third year on the team. Uh, or No, I'm sorry, fourth year on the team, third on the Giants with 88, 88 tackles starting 12 games. It's crazy because the Giants lost a lot of linebackers, and he, Nick Ryson, Number 54 was the one linebacker who was consistent and never hurt. He knew his role on this team. I really enjoyed watching Nick Rison. There he is, number 54. Him and Antonio Pierce were really fun to watch. But anyway, at this time, we are going to get to, drum roll, this is the fa- my favorite part of the show, the reveal of our top 10 players. So what me and Hank do, folks, Uh, We make our top 10 players list at the end of every show, and we reveal it. So at this time, we're going to go over our top 10 list quickly here. And, Hank, um, your number 10 player on your list. So I'm going to briefly talk talk about this. So for the first two players I selected, both offensive linemen, because as we mentioned, this was a historically good season for the Giants offense. And – 
in order for that, that you had to have good play from the offense. So I started at number 10 with David Deal. Solid season, and he's a guy who would go on to be a key contributor in later years, especially. And then for number nine, I'm going to go with Chris Snee, number 76. Another good one who paved the way for some uh, good runs by Tiki Barber, who I will get to pretty soon. I like it. I liked how you picked offensive linemen at nine and 10, for sure. And moving on to number eight, I mean, this wasn't obviously one of his better best seasons, but you know what? He was still pretty solid this year. He had a bit of a comeback. Let's go with sharply dressed Amani Toomer. I like it. The well-dressed Amani Toomer. Hank, he still had seven touchdowns, including this one against the Denver Broncos to win the game. That was pretty important. That was a pretty important touchdown, and it was really hard for me not to, to... It was hard for me to not put him on my list. Let's put it this way. Number seven, he may have missed like the last last fraction of the season, but he was still very important nonetheless. We're going to go with Antonio Pierce. And number six. Now, these next three really were interchangeable because these were all like key members of the offense, but it really shows you how, how much the ball flowed between the Giants. Number six, Plaxico Gurus. Huge game changer for this offense. What more can I say? His height created nightmares for defensive backs. Speaking and, of height, look at that. And we're going to see that later on in coming episodes. Number five, let's go with number 10, Elisha Nelson Manning IV. His well, first, high, yeah, sure. His first full season, pretty decent one. Got to give him top five. And number four, a tight end who had another very solid year, in my opinion. That's Jeremy Shockey. Showed a picture of him. I definitely agree. Pro bowler. One of the five pro bowlers on this roster. Oh, yeah. For sure. And three through one, I think. uh, Now, as far as the top three, I think these make sense. Number three. On any other week, on any other like list, I don't know if I put him below number two. But for this season, he did have a good one. Michael Strahan. Eleven and a half sacks. Probably one of his last – I actually know it was his last Pro Bowl season too, but still very effective after what was kind of a down year the year before. Good enough to be number three. Number two, though, what puts him ahead of Strahan? Well, let's just say the 14 and a half, half sacks from this man, number 72, OCU Minora. Let's, let's be real. 2005 was a absolute comeback season – or no, I'm sorry – coming out party for, for OCU Minora established himself as a true force on the pass rush. And of course he earned a reputation for being, as you said, Mr. Strip sack. And number one, this really was not a hard decision at all. He had a historically good season was, was dropping out 150 yard games. Like it was nothing every day and three, 200 yard games. Tiki Barber, number 21. And how could I not, considering he only had one fumble that year? He really came a long way in such a short amount of time under Coughlin. I really like the list, Hank. He, uh, a lot of a lot of good players on this list there is Tiki, number 21. Uh, so that's your top 10. Now we're going to get to mine. And a quick shout-out you have here in the comments section. It is Alan, Hank the man. Alan, the father of my friend Connor, who just talked earlier. Very nice. So at this time, we're going to go over my list now, uh, my top 10 players. 
Mine are a little different, actually. Uh, most of the same players, but maybe a little, a little bit of a different order. Number 10, I have Sean, Sean O'Hara. I think he was the second He was the second best offensive lineman on this team, in my opinion. Uh, there he is, big number 60. There's Sean. Coming over from the Cleveland Browns, I just thought he cleared a lot of paveway for Tiki yeah. Barber up the middle. Uh, I think, in my, in my opinion, he has to be on this list. Number sure. nine, the well-dressed Amani Toomer. Uh, <laughs> the reason why he's this low, look, you know, any wide receiver you throw to um, – a lot will catch 60 balls, seven touchdowns. If he's a, you know, a decent wide receiver, he definitely deserves to be on this list. Uh, number 81, the well-dressed Amani Toomer. Uh, that is my number nine. Number eight is the coach's son-in-law, Chris Snee. I like that. Barber typically ran to his right. And there's a reason why you had two big bulls in Snee and McKenzie. I think Snee was really good. His short alligator arms, as they like to refer to, but I think Chris Snee, was a great offensive lineman only in his second year. Remember, Hank, he was also a part of that 2004 draft class. Chris Snee, yes. number 76. I think we got a little better image of him. There he is, number 76. That's the one I wanted to put up, Chris Snee, number 76. So at number seven, I have Eli Manning. The first question you might be asking is why is he this low? The 17 interceptions is why. He was still developing at this time. I think there were six players better than him on this roster. Remember, Eli was surrounded by veterans his early year, and that's why the Giants did so well. They had a lot of guys that knew their role, despite the antics with Shockey every once in a while. You know, I think Eli Manning was a great quarterback of all time. Definitely loved watching him. There's an image of him and Coach Coughlin. Uh, I have another one, too. There's that one. Uh, but, yeah, Eli Manning is number seven on my list. I can't put him higher simply because of the turnovers. That's totally fair. Totally number fair. six, I have Antonio Pierce, number 58, the starting middle linebacker. I really like Antonio Pierce. I think he's a great player. Uh, you know, he would have been the team leader in tackles if he stayed healthy. And he really has been the best linebacker over the past two decades. The Giants have not had a better linebacker on their roster than Antonio Pierce. I mean, you no. can't – I mean. Yeah. Jesse Armstead is probably the closest thing to it. Um, yeah, I was going to mention at some point, he he really reminded me a lot of Jesse Armstead. Under the radar type of guy. Exactly. At number five, I have Jeremy Shockey, the tight end, uh, the guy who got into the food fight with Brandon Short when he was a rookie <laughs> back in the 2002 preseason. There he is, Jeremy Shockey. A lot of people don't like Shockey. I personally like him. Wasn't always the biggest fan of what he did on the field. But he was a great game changer. And I think one thing is that Jeremy Shockey excelled under Jim Fossil. He, did. he didn't excel as much under Coach Coughlin. I think he was a, uh, one, of the, one of the leftover young products of Jim Fossil, as him and Coughlin really didn't see eye to eye on a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, no, they didn't. I was surprised you had this next guy as low as you did on your list. I think you had him at number six. I have him yeah. at number four, Plaxico Burris. Complete game changer on this roster, Hank. I have him very high, mainly because of the 1,200 receiving yards and the seven touchdown receptions. He definitely brought this offense to a new level, and I think Eli Manning was able to develop and play really well in his second season because of him. Mm-hmm. So I really, really like Plaxico Burris here at number four. So my top three, no shocker, Michael Strahan, number 92. That's a good one. Um, yeah, you know, definitely um, 
Yeah, um, let me respond to Adam. Yeah, I definitely would agree. Shocky, I liked him, but yeah, I would agree. I didn't always like his antics on on the sidelines or in games. But great comment, Mr. Rothschild. Not a big uh, Shockey fan. Um, says a lot of Giant fans. You know, my uncle liked him for some reason. I'm not a biggest fan of his antics either, but I, I looked past that with him. I really couldn't look past that with guys like Odell. But um, Thank I you. Did, I, I just think Shockey was very established, and when you put him in his place, he would do what you would want. Uh, number two on my list is OCU Manura. Uh, same as you, 14 and a half sacks. I really like the master of the strip sack and the way he emerged into that type of player. Um, I really like that nickname because that's really what he was. Every time he came around the edge, you had to fear that he was going to do something, that he was going to strip the football. And that's exactly what OCU Manura did. He took quarterbacks down like this one in Mark Burnell. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, he's number two on my list. Number one, none other than Tiki Barber, uh, the running back number 21. This was his second to last NFL season. Uh, Tiki Barber was definitely a guy I enjoyed watching second in the NFL in rushing. And I'll be honest with you, he was a huge part of the reason why the Giants were as successful as they were. And that is number 21, Tiki Barber. Okay, so now we're going to display the image of both our top 10 lists and compare and contrast. Here we go. Okay, so actually, let me let me do this instead. I'm going to pull this up here so we can collaborate on the side. I'm going to share my screen, and we will have a short little debate. Okay, share the screen. All right, so we have the exact same top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... We get a little funny here. You yeah. have Shockey at four. I have him at five. Uh, what made you put him over Plaxico Burris? I'm actually kind of curious. I think because Shockey just had had like a really good year and you know got the ball like a good amount of times. I I think really really when you think about it, between the receivers that Eli had, I think the that it really could have been interchangeable. So I think Shockey just had a slightly better year than Plaxico. So I. I put him ahead. I like it. I definitely like how. I don't know, but I def. But if you want to tell me that Plaxico was better, I really, I really don't have any argument against you to be honest. Because Plaxico, as we mentioned, was a game changer on this offense. Hundred percent. I definitely think Plaxico was the change of tempo type of guy the Giants really needed on this team, and I think that's what they got from him. Yeah. Uh, five. I have Shockey. You have Eli at five. I have him at seven. Again, the turnovers were too much for me. Uh, under 53% completion percentage. I understand they went 11 and five. Excuse me. Uh, I just personally can't have him any higher than seven on my list. Hey, man, you know what? I, total- I totally get it. I I do agree the turnovers were a bit of an issue, so that's why I could That's why I could not put him in the top three with, in any good conscience. Yeah. But – with that having been said, he still threw for 3,700 yards, still threw for a good amount of touchdowns, and he had some big, big games that, let's put it this way, if he doesn't have that comeback against the Denver Broncos, they might not even have the home playoff game anyways. That he did, yeah. And he had some important games, and even in the beginning of the season where he had that stretch of not throwing a turnover, that 
that was pretty huge too. Let's not forget about that. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, that reason because he had, because he had that good amount of passing yards and touchdowns and because he still led them a good amount of wins. I think that's why he just barely cracked my top five. Yeah. For me, I can't put him in the top five more because of the, of the defensive guys I have above him and the older skill players on the team who are already established and made a lot of yards after the catch or contact. Uh, Snee and Toomer, we have flip-flop. That makes a lot of sense. Toomer, not really on a decline, just more or less of a used weapon at this point. But our number 10s are different between O'Hara and Deal. Uh, my argument for O'Hara over Deal is because I think he was a really good leader on the team. He was also a captain. Deal was still a young player, only in his third season, kind of shuffling. But, you know, he was a stick at left guard early on in his career. Uh, I definitely think Deal is worthy of a spot on this list. I just think O'Hara was a little better and more seasoned at this time. Yeah, that's totally fair. I don't really have any big argument against that. I think, I think for like the bottom half, or they're just players where we can really agree to disagree. Yeah, no, of course, a hundred percent. So those are our top ten list uh, fans. If you have any questions, comments on it, let us know what you think. Uh, but for now, um, let's just talk about. Let's just recap the show quick here. Actually, I'm going to remove this. If you guys have any uh, comments, just DM us and whatnot. Um, We'll take care of that. But, Hank, I think 2005, it proved to set the stage for four straight years in the NFL playoffs for the Giants. Mm -hmm. The Giants proved that they were once again bound for glory. And I I think that was very important because – Uh, The New York football giants were a franchise that is notorious for winning and they had a two year spell. And now the giants were beginning to put themselves back on the map. Uh, Look, the road to glory is achieved through challenges. That's how you pave the way success is achieved through failure. I think the giants definitely did a good job of that in 2005. Uh, We're going to be doing a 2006 show as well in three weeks. Uh, So you guys are going to want to catch that here on Facebook Live. If you're watching now, also check out our 2000 and 2002 episodes. We both did those a couple of months ago. I think 2002 we did back in July, and then the 2001 we did in June. Hank, any any final thoughts? This was, you know, this was a fun team to cover because this was one of the – actually, no, this was – the first giant, actually, this might have been the first giant team overall that I really fully remember. And this was a great season and it was great to really, it was probably, it was a good time too. Cause I remember getting to really get a good glimpse of Eli Manning and yeah, sure. Although he did have a good amount of turnovers, I still remember seeing a little bit of flash of greatness that he would eventually lead the giants to glory. And as it turned out, he did. And I think we'll see in the next episode too, there were some more of those challenges that, eventually would lead to said glory. I agree. I think you bring up a lot of good points. I think 2005 was really the start of something great. Um, And moving forward, I'm definitely looking forward to talking about more New York Giants seasons. For those of you watching, give us a follow at Review and Preview Sports. Like our Facebook page. Subscribe to us on the anchor.fm slash Review and Preview. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. And stay tuned. Um, Wednesday, me and my... Regulars are going to be interviewing Matt Perino of the Buffalo Bills, so you're going to want to watch that. That's going to be a good one Wednesday night, uh, Wednesday afternoon, four to six p.m. Eastern time. Always great doing these stories of the New York Giants, Hank. 
thank you very much for joining me here tonight. On behalf of Hank and Dichter, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long you've been watching the journey of the 2005 New York Giants here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.